everyone, welcome back to Christian's Colloquy. I'm Christian, and I'm so glad that you could join me again this week. For today's episode, we will be diving into the life and one of the aspects of the theology of Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon is a name that I expect many of you are familiar with, like Jonathan Edwards last time. If you're in an evangelical church, especially a Baptist church, Charles Spurgeon just looms so large. He is remembered as the Prince of Preachers, just this fantastic example of powerful preaching, but he's also remembered as a major figure in Baptist history. He was perhaps the leading Baptist of the mid to late 19th century. He was involved in so many things, but of course, at the heart of what he's remembered for is his preaching. It's rumored that Queen Victoria herself, that great English monarch, the Empress of India, that she dressed up in disguise just to go listen to Charles Spurgeon preach and not cause any issues. So clearly he's a preacher, but he's so much more. He's a theologian. He was a pastoral shepherd. He was active in Baptist denominational life, and he was an outspoken critic of slavery. So there's so many things we could cover with Charles Spurgeon, but again, today it will be the first episode in a, in a series of many episodes, I imagine, going forward. So we'll just cover the basics of who Spurgeon is. If you're not familiar with Spurgeon, and I understand he's still a guy from over a hundred years ago, like that's a lot of time. So we'll just get to know him a little bit, talk about some of his basic details, born, when he died, what he did, and then we will dive into one of his theological contributions to our understanding or our appreciation of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a person of the triune God, and we'll dig into that a little bit, but often one that in evangelical Baptist circles, we're often a little wary of. We, uh, I, I could speak for my circle of evangelical life that there is the concern when talking about the Holy Spirit that we don't want to downplay the Holy Spirit, but we also don't want to go overboard with the Holy Spirit. So I think Charles Spurgeon, if we're thinking about the Holy Spirit, provides a fantastic example of truly appreciating the person and work of the Holy Spirit. He has a series of sermons on the Holy Spirit, but today we'll just look at one, a foundational sermon, which addresses the personality of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit being a person of the Trinity. Anyway, that's enough of an intro. Let's dive in with the facts in life of Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon was born on June 19th in 1834 in Essex, England, as I said, an English Baptist. But interestingly, he was actually raised in a devout Congregationalist home. Charles Spurgeon's childhood and relationship with his family is very interesting. There's a lot we could say about that, and I'll encourage you, if you look in the description down below, I'll leave some resources to some of the uh, features of his life, including a fantastic documentary that covers his life through the eyes of Spurgeon. So, there's so many interesting tidbits within his childhood and life going forward. If you're interested in a detailed look, check out those resources, check out that documentary. But, as I said, I'll mention again, he was born in a Congregationalist home, so they were nonconformists. They weren't part of the Anglican state church. They were outside of the state church, which created some unique dynamics in Spurgeon's upbringing and life, but that's where he started. At age 15, despite being raised in that Congregationalist home, he wasn't converted, but at age 15, he was. And that is a dramatic story. Again, check out down below for an article about it. It was just this brilliant conversion experience where there was a storm, there was a preacher, and it took place in a primitive Methodist chapel. So we could see here with Spurgeon, he would go on to be a great Baptist preacher, but already he had a lot of 
interaction outside of the Baptist world, first with his Congregationalist family and then being converted in a primitive Methodist chapel. In April 1854, Spurgeon became the pastor of New Park Street Chapel. New Park Street Chapel is a Baptist church, a Baptist chapel, I suppose, that has a wonderful history. It had many famous pastors before Spurgeon and after Spurgeon. Its legacy would continue on in in its new name, the Metropolitan Tabernacle. And I'll briefly mention here, that church is still around today. I had the privilege in 2017 on my uh, church history tour in England. I was able to visit the Metropolitan Tabernacle for a worship service, and that was an amazing experience. It was great to worship with fellow Baptists across the pond, as they say, but to really see a church that has so much rich history, and it's a vibrant community today. The preaching is biblical. It's solid. They are so active in evangelism, and they really, really take on the legacy of Spurgeon in London today. So that's where Spurgeon was pastoring the church. It had a wonderful history when Spurgeon got there, and it remains to this day, uh, over a hundred years later, still active in preaching the Word of God. In 1857, Spurgeon founded a theological college. That college is still active again today. Spurgeon's legacy is 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 quite profound in that it's now called Spurgeon's College, but it's still there in England training ministers, and maybe we'll have an episode in the future talking about Spurgeon's approach to theological education. And that was, again, for, we've covered it before, but Baptists have an interesting history with theological education, so maybe we'll take a look at Spurgeon and other Baptist figures, how they thought about seminary, Bible colleges, and other related topics. Another key feature to note is that in the late 1880s, Spurgeon was active in the downgrade controversy. That was a hard time in Spurgeon's life and truly a hard time in the life of British Baptists as a whole. As the name suggests, downgrade. This was a time when British Baptists, despite their robust reformed and evangelical history, started to be influenced by liberalism, theological liberalism, I should make clear, and really uh, abandoned some of the core truths and distinctives which made them an evangelical Christian body. Spurgeon was a part of that, and unfortunately, he was on what we might say in that isolated instance, the losing side of that controversy. And that really contributed to Spurgeon's struggle with depression and sorrow. There's a lot that could be said about that. Again, in the description, I'll have a book and probably a blog post relating to that by a friend of mine. I'll, I'll double check on that. But uh, there's a lot that could be said. And that's why if you look at the times, Spurgeon died on January 31st, 1892, at the young age, relatively young age, I should say, of 57. And that was, at that point in British history, that would be on the younger side. And there's a lot of speculation, of course, we, we don't know for sure, but it's likely that his depression after the downgrade controversy really weakened him and made his life difficult, leading to likely an earlier death than we would expect. Anyway, that's Spurgeon. Uh, there's a lot more that could be said. Again, check out those resources. He had a fantastically rich life full of ups and downs, and there's so much we can learn about him, from him, and really just take on into our lives today as Evangelical Baptists. Again, we will be visiting Spurgeon in the future with all sorts of different topics, his sermons, his prayers, and whatever else he has for us, a lot of brilliant theological writings and books. But today, we will zoom in on one sermon and this sermon will really get us thinking about the doctrine of the Holy Spirit by starting with the personality of the Holy Spirit. 
it's brilliant to note that the title of the sermon we're looking at today is itself the personality of the Holy Spirit. And this, again, you can find it. I'll hold it up here right now. This is in Volume 1. I'll hold it up close to you. Volume 1 of the the sermons of Spurgeon. This was a gift to me from my brother and sister-in-law when I graduated seminary. I'm very grateful for this. But in volume one, you get a few of Spurgeon's sermons on the Holy Spirit. Again, the Holy Spirit was a big deal for Spurgeon, and he wanted to teach his congregation exactly who the Holy Spirit is, what the Holy Spirit does, and why the Holy Spirit is so fundamentally important for the Christian life, being in relationship with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit indwelling us. There's a sermon titled, The Power of the Holy Spirit. But today, again, we're going to start foundationally with the personality of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to start right now by very briefly just looking at the text Spurgeon was preaching from. That text was John 14, 16 to 17. I have it in the ESV here, and I'll read it out. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So that's our text. That was Spurgeon's text. And to sort of kick us off, now that we know what Spurgeon was preaching on, let's begin by looking at what he first says. Spurgeon starts his sermon by saying, You will be surprised to hear me announce that I do not intend this morning to say anything about the Holy Spirit as the Comforter. I propose to reserve that for a special sermon this evening. In this discourse, I shall endeavor to explain and enforce certain other doctrines which I believe are plainly taught in this text and which I hope God, the Holy Ghost, may make profitable to our souls. So Spurgeon is saying this text, as we just read, it's often a text that Christians will go to to describe the Holy Spirit as our comforter. But Spurgeon is saying, yeah, that's great. And that will be addressed in the following sermon. It's worth a sermon. But right now we'll look at everything around that. And if you're interested, that sermon is, again, uh, right here. I believe it's the next sermon in that volume, volume one of Spurgeon's sermons. You can find it online. But we're going to look at this sermon and briefly look at what are the other doctrines Spurgeon uh, is talking about in this sermon. And we'll zoom in on one of those points and just unpack it for our benefit now. So what does Spurgeon say he's going to be covering in this sermon? I invite your attention to this passage because we shall find in it some instruction on four points. First, concerning the true and proper personality of the Holy Ghost. Secondly, concerning the united agency of the glorious three persons in the work of our salvation. Thirdly, we shall find something to establish the doctrine of the indwelling of the Holy Ghost in the souls of all believers. And fourthly, we shall find out the great find out the reason why the carnal mind rejects the Holy Ghost. As you could see, if you're looking on YouTube up on your screen, that is a lot of stuff Spurgeon is going to unpack. But for our time now, we're going to zoom in on that first point. The first point concerning the true and proper personality of the Holy Ghost. That's a major point. That's a point I think it's worth spending some time on, as I'm going to let Spurgeon explain. That's an issue that often even Trinitarian Christians have trouble not only grasping, but appreciating day to day. But I will mention in addition to that, that's also a major flashpoint between Christians and some other cults that struggle with the Trinity or flat out deny the Trinity. 
but I'll let Spurgeon explain in him saying the following. We are so much accustomed to talk about the influence of the Holy Ghost and his sacred operations and graces that we are apt to forget that the Holy Spirit is truly and actually a person, that he is a subsistence, an existence, or as we Trinitarians usually say, one person in the essence of the Godhead. So Spurgeon's point is that when we're thinking about the Holy Spirit in our day-to-day conversations, maybe in the context of prayer, we'll speak about the influence of the Holy Spirit, we'll speak about the operations of the Holy Spirit, but in the midst of that, we can lose sight of the true personality of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is a person of the triune Godhead, that the Holy Spirit is truly a person that we can engage with, that we can recognize, hears us, speaks to us, moves among us, and isn't just an abstract, impersonal force. So, right now, we're going to let Spurgeon do most of the talking here, and we'll look at it a little bit, but for our remaining time, we'll look at a few of the several well, many, I should say, we'll look at a few of the many reasons Spurgeon gives why from Scripture we should and do, as Trinitarian Christians, believe that the Holy Spirit is a true person of the Godhead. Let's start with the first point. As you can see on your screen again on YouTube, Spurgeon first takes us to a scene of baptism. His quote starts with, I baptize thee in the name. I'm going to read out this quote. You probably know where I'm going, but Spurgeon here takes us to the formula for baptism that Jesus gives his disciples. And here's what Spurgeon says. I baptize thee in the name, marked in the name, not names, of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Everyone who is baptized according to the true form laid down in Scripture must be a Trinitarian. Otherwise, his baptism is a farce and a lie, and he himself is found a deceiver and a hypocrite before God. As the Father is mentioned, and as the Son is mentioned, so is the Holy Ghost. And the whole is summed up as being a trinity in unity, by its being said not names, but the name the glorious name, the Jehovah name of Father, of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Spurgeon's point is pretty far- powerful and it comes again straight from the mouth of Jesus as he instructs his disciples laid out in scripture. It's that when they baptize, they baptize in the name, singular, the one name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And that's where you can see Trinity and unity. Christians will talk about three and one. Here's an excellent display of it. One name, the name, and three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And that, of course, not only speaks to the Trinity, but it speaks to the personality of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit here not only is paralleled next to the Father and the Son, who are clearly persons. That's the point Spurgeon makes. We have no trouble of seeing the Father and Son as persons throughout various activities that they do and realities that they have in Scripture. But the Holy Spirit is brought into that parallel as clearly a person alongside of them. On top of that, not only is the Holy Spirit mentioned next to the Father and the Son, of course the Holy Spirit is given a name. This is the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So where does Spurgeon go from there? The Holy Spirit, the parallelism in the Trinity, having a name. Well, let's read on to his second point. A second argument arises from the fact that the Holy Ghost has actually made different appearances on earth. So, In a manner befitting what only a person could do, the Holy Spirit actually appears. 
And this, the example Spurgeon gives, just two of them, uh, the baptism of Jesus in Matthew 3, the Holy Spirit descending as a dove. I'm sure you're familiar with that one. And of course, the tongues of fire at Pentecost in Acts 2. Spurgeon summarizes that by saying, Soon a bright light appears, shining upon the heads of each, cloven tongues of fire sat upon them. So two clear places where the Holy Spirit shows up in the actual story, not as an impersonal force, but actually there as a person would be in a story. Let's let Spurgeon expand on that point with the following quote. An influence could not appear. An attribute could not appear. We cannot see attributes. We cannot behold influences. The Holy Ghost must then have been a person, since he was beheld by mortal eyes and he came under the cognizance of mortal sense. So the fact that the Holy Spirit was beheld by people, they saw the Holy Spirit like a dove, like tongues of fire. The Holy Spirit must be a person, not a mere attribute, not a mere influence or force. Here's Spurgeon's third proof of the Holy Spirit's personality. Spurgeon's next point is summarized by this. Spurgeon says, Another proof is from the fact that personal qualities are in Scripture ascribed to the Holy Ghost. As you could see, I'm mostly pulling, Spurgeon has so many examples, but I'm pulling from the examples in 1 Corinthians, where it said the Spirit searches all things. The Spirit knows the thoughts of God. The Spirit has a will. I encourage you, check out 1 Corinthians 2, 10, and 11. Check out 1 Corinthians 12, 11. That's where you see so clearly that the Holy Spirit is a person. What kind of impersonal force can search can know the thoughts of God, can have a will. Clearly, the Holy Spirit is a person because personal qualities are ascribed in Scripture to the Holy Spirit. Let's look at the next point from Spurgeon. But I have a proof of which perhaps will be more telling upon you than any other. Acts and deeds are ascribed to the Holy Ghost. Therefore, he must be a person. The example Spurgeon gives, and again, there are so many, I picked a few. The Holy Spirit hovered on the waters in Genesis 1-2. The Spirit inspired, carry along men, and moved men, as described in 2 Peter 1-21. Peter here is speaking about the prophets being inspired, that they were carried along by the Spirit as they gave their prophecies and wrote them down. The final point, and this is perhaps the most compelling for me personally, is that the Spirit spoke to men. Look at Acts 8.29 with Philip, Acts 13.2 with Paul and uh, Barnabas, and you will see there the Holy Spirit directly speaking to these figures in the early church, directly to Philip, directly to Paul. An impersonal force can't speak to people. An influence can't speak to people. Some sort of energy or attribute can't speak to people. It is a person who speaks to people, and that's exactly what we see with the Holy Spirit throughout the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit telling people what to do, telling people where to go, encouraging people. And that's what Spurgeon draws on. There are many more proofs that he gives, even in that sermon. This sermon is a long one. I'll, I'll leave in the description again. You can listen to people reading it, and it goes up to 55 minutes. But those are the few places that we could talk about right now that Spurgeon brings us to to prove the personality of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit being a person was a major debate in early church history. It's something that the church 
I'm talking early church history, second, third, fourth century, as they work through the doctrine of the Trinity, starting with the, the personality of Jesus as a human, then talking about Jesus as truly God, then moving on to the Holy Spirit as a person. This is something that took a long time for the church to hammer out. There are a lot of early church heresies were based on the doctrine of the Trinity, based on the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. And this is where I believe as evangelicals, not only should we go to that ancient patristic church history of those first centuries, not only should we be comfortable with medieval church history and the Reformation's church history, but as we could see here now, evangelical history, the 18th century and with Spurgeon the 19th century, there we have such a rich legacy of understanding the Trinity, of preaching on the Trinity, of understanding the Holy Ghost and preaching on the Holy Ghost. And it would be such a shame if we continued to carry along with the poor or perhaps a lacking understanding of the Holy Spirit, a lacking understanding of the Trinity, when we have such wonderful resources to turn back to. Spurgeon's example in this sermon today is just one among many hundreds, if not thousands, of evangelical expositions, explanations, teachings on our great and glorious God, on the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And I would encourage you now, like we did with this sermon, dig into it. Find out about it, learn about it, so that you might benefit today, you might share it today, and you might grow today as a Christian who has a relationship with the triune God of the universe and the person of the Holy Spirit, who is truly a person that is indwelling you as a believer. Anyway, I encourage you, check out the rest of this sermon, read it out if you have the time, look up more resources, check out everything I put in the description, and if you enjoyed our conversation today, leave a like, leave a comment, share this, make sure to be subscribed, and most importantly, tune in next time to Christian's Colloquy when we'll be back with another great episode talking about someone in church history, something in church history, or something else entirely. Anyway, that's it for now. Take care.